0: thrash it out a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it i'm brian latendry
1: and i'm anthony johnston and today we are talking about the 2003 album from Machine Head, through the ashes of empires uh and uh it's been a while actually since our last episode sorry about that we've both had stuff you know going on um and so uh we've had quite a while to sit and listen to it which for me is great because I I mean, I already said at the end of the last episode that no spoilers here. This is my like second favorite Machine Head album after their debut, Burn My Eyes. So uh, it's going to be all positivity from me today. But I'm really interested to hear what you thought of it.
0: And I am very interested to get into this album because my I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but I haven't had a lot
1: of experience with Machine
0: Head other than very much uh, recognizing the name and knowing, you know, obviously Phil Demmel, uh being on this album and part of the group for such a long time. Like there, there's, I knew of them, but hadn't had a lot of experience with them. And it's probably just because I didn't hear the right version of them in, you know, at a certain time where it Possibly, hit me, and I really yeah. dug deeply yeah. into that band, you know, yeah. because they started in what, like ninety one
1: started in 91 first album was 94 but then within like two three albums they had uh yeah sort of you know started progressing and veering off of the thrash track and did a couple of new metal went through a new metal phase and what have you uh you know some parts of which are still on this album we'll talk all about that later yeah, oh yeah I, sure. but I think yeah if you if you only because that was really commercially successful that's something I'm gonna say this now that's something that really bugs me is like people uh who sort of shit on that part of Machine Head's career or like, yeah, yeah, and it was a total flop and blur, you know, and they had to go back to the metal to sell records. And that's absolutely not true. Burning Red was a really, really commercially successful album. Um, but yeah, it did turn off an awful lot of metal heads uh, because of the styles it embraced. So we'll get all into all of that later.
0: For sure. And just, just in terms of like where I was at the time, in terms of my sort of metal listening career, I was a junior in 91 in high school, very still set in my 80s hair and thrash metal, you know, sort of approach. And then when I got to college in 92, I was, that was a weird time for me because it was like, I had all my old stuff that I still listened to very regularly, but I wasn't necessarily seeking out much new stuff because I was just living the college life. And so I was right. listening to a lot of what other people around me were listening to. And that's where like ministry was really, I had a roommate who was super into ministry and got, you know, really heavy into that. For a while, but it was just a weird time where, like, I wasn't the pursuer of the new stuff. I was just kind of letting it come to me.
1: Interesting, interesting. So yeah, as I said, we'll, we'll get into that uh, later. First thing I want to, uh, well, yeah, you know, a bit of follow up. And the first thing we should mention is that since the last episode, Joey Jordison of Slipknot has died, mm-hmm. which is just an incredible tragedy. Forty-six years old. Like you and I are both older than that. And that's to think that he's, you know, (laughs) that he did all of that and now he's just gone uh, and he's not even as old as he's just, man, it's just heartbreaking to think about.
0: Matt and I were just talking about uh, Mike Howe, 55, who also, it seems like, took his own life as uh, in just... I think I posted the picture here in the Facebook group, but but met him at a show a few years ago with my son, and he took pictures with us. We were hanging out with him and stuff like that. Uh, I was just reading something about um, John Bush from Armored Saint and, and, of course, Anthrax fame, talking about how they had toured together in the last few years, and he really wished that Mike would have reached out to him because he was just talking about what a genuinely good individual he was. and uh, It's just wild, man. I mean, it, all of Anytime someone's anywhere remotely around our age, it hits extra. Yeah. But then when you think about you know what a lot of these bands meant to the evolution of metal and just the, the our listening landscape for the past you know thirty plus years, it's very sad and and really kind of sits with you when we lose one of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Jordison, obviously Slipknot you know already lost one when Paul Gray died and that was Christ that was what like 10 15 years ago now um possibly even more my sense of time is completely shot uh and now i mean i know Joey wasn't in the band anymore but still uh just yeah it's uh, you know beset by tragedy man i the whole thing is just very very sad yep if you want to uh see if you want to, you know, sort of, like, see happier times, as it were, though, there's been a lot of people uh, reposting when he filled in for Lars at a Metallica gig. Uh, I think here in the UK, I think it was, I'm not sure. Um, but Slipknot were, was it Slipknot were on the bill or Murder Dolls were on the bill? I... Anyway, one of Joey's bands was on the bill. Yeah, And, uh, and they, Lars was ill and they got a few replacement drummers in uh including i think dave lombardo was one of them but jordan i think you're right yep apparently just blew everyone else off the stage no rehearsal knew all the songs off by heart obviously very different style of playing to lars you know was throwing insane fills and you know triple roll uh kick drum stuff in there and just madness there are some videos of uh, creeping death i think is the video that gets shared the most from that session and it is Pretty amazing if you know if it's true that there was no rehearsal and he'd never played with any of those men before to get up on that kit in front of tens of thousands of people with you know what is still the biggest metal band in the world uh and just go, yeah okay, let's have a go and just blast it out like that. What a talent, how incredible
0: oh for sure, but you but you also have to think of like for people our age if there's one band that you grew up listening to that you probably True. know every single, like, and you decided to become a drummer, right? I mean, it, it and again, not even getting into a discussion about like Lars's drumming in it. I,
1: regardless of so what you me, think of it, you just know it, you know, every, every like it's to me, it's nuance. like ACDC,
0: right? If you're going to start playing guitar, you're going to learn some ACDC songs. If you're going to start playing drums and you're a, a rock or metal fan of, you know, you're going to be learning Metallica songs for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess that's true, actually, yeah, because um, certainly this stuff that I grew up listening to, the, I mean, I, I cannot play the drums, but if I had the sort of, you know, the technical ability to just, the coordination <laughs> to actually play the drums, yeah, there are absolutely loads of songs from my favourite bands that I could play without rehearsal just because I know them so well. I know every, you know, little, every hit and kick and tom and cymbal and crash and just everything. Uh just because you know the song so well, but still, yep. even so think of the balls. Oh, absolutely.
0: Like take, <laughs> to, that takes nothing away from his ability to get up there and do that in front of, you know, yeah. tens to hundreds of thousands of people.
1: <laughs> Amazing. It's crazy. Uh, but yeah, so very sad, but you know, let's, uh, let's celebrate his life. Um, and, uh, as you say, massive contribution that him and Slipknot made to metal, regardless, I know there are people out there listening who aren't fans of Slipknot and everything, but you cannot deny their enormous influence on the scene, uh, and on modern metal. And, you know, Jordison was a big part of that. Very big part of that. For sure. Um, what else did I want to say? Uh, oh, well, I suppose we should go to the Facebook page for the last, uh, the previous episode.
0: We can, where we talked about the Manifest Decimation album from Power Trip, which uh, generally got some really positive reactions. Pinky said uh, they were buying this one as well. Still not 100% convinced, they said, so I need to listen to it in full. Uh, Ratesker said, I think it's a really good album, and mostly because of the sound. I just dig this kind of raw and somewhat blurry atmosphere. Let's put a pin in that one for today's discussion as well.
1: As <laughs> blurry we actually is a really good way to describe yeah. the power trip sound, I think, because it, you know, as we said last time it is that kind of slightly throwback retroish sound in places. And part yeah, of and that deliberate. is that, you're right, part of that is that the reverb does kind of swamp some of the precision, which yeah, I think blurry is just a really good way to describe it. I like that
0: uh andy said i love you guys talking about the last of the obvious albums we haven't done yet as though appetite for destruction isn't <laughs> still on the table <laughs> and then Tornet said or bad motor uh, i
1: knew that comment was going to be controversial <laughs>
0: yeah uh kenneth had a great post he said let me walk you through my journey with this album Anthony announces Brian's pick. Me, Rolls Eyes. Jesus, Brian's retro thrash kick is getting out of hand. Then I debate if I bother listening to the album, as I checked out Power Trip before and didn't enjoy them. But this is T.O., so I should have an open mind and give the album what I call the Latendry 3. So I go to Spotify and off we go. First reaction. Holy fuck, that's a lot of reverb. (laughs) (laughs) Track two. Okay, this is a Slayer rip. Track three, more sweet, sweet chugs. Track four, not sure this is getting better. And unfortunately, that's where this album stayed for me. Too retro for a sound I'm not into. He said, fair play to Brian for living up to his volume, Brief, and Bringing the Heavy. I'm sure I'll be missing it after our second hair metal album next time.
1: <laughs> well, uh, and fair play to him for giving it the Latendri 3. You know, for uh, for at least after an initial, no, I've, heard, I've listened to this band before, I'm, I'm not going to do it again. Uh, for at least giving a different album a chance.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Tortoise posted a cool picture of Death Metal Spongebob. Someone had a a (laughs) tattoo of that. Um, Let's see.
1: I'd forgotten about that. (laughs) Uh,
0: Tortoise said, Chugs like it's a Bury Your Dead album. Surely not that much of a Choo Choo Train. Um, And Kenneth (laughs) said, I have no idea who Bury Your Dead are. So uh andrew said loved crossbreaker but otherwise this left me largely unmoved and not due to the production i love a murky sound but i'm just not a thrash guy so what do i know simon said what an album reminded me of uh nd's scum mixed with really really early sepultura great pick uh certainly one to buy sometime."
1: Uh, nd that's napalm death he's talking about there
0: uh dave said my attention was grabbed with heretics fork because of the slayer feel in crossbreakers where i fully came on board because i heard shades of my beloved motorhead he's at the opening notes few notes especially feel like orgasmatron to me thanks for picking this after giving nightmare logic a cursory listen i had dismissed power trip as a band i just found okay but the discussion on this episode and listening to this album made me want to give them a second look uh, and that's see.
1: that's funny, because that was exactly the sort of reaction that I had. I, as I said before, you know, somebody, uh, when I was asking for recommendations from listeners, had suggested Power Trick to me, and so I listened to Nightmare Logic, and I was like, eh, it's all right, but it's not really my thing. Uh, but then when you picked a different album, obviously I was like, okay, well, you know, got to listen to it. And yeah, I definitely preferred that album, the album that we did. I preferred Manifest Decimation more than... Uh, Uh, than the other album, whose name I've already forgotten.
0: (laughs) Uh, Nightmare Logic.
1: Nightmare Logic, that's it.
0: (laughs) Which I think is definitely the more recognized album from them, because that was the one with uh, uh, the Executioner song on it, and so Swing of the Axe, and so people were like, yes, that Uh, that song was kind of a lot of people's in. I think it was my in to... Really digging deeper into Power Trip. Uh, And David kind of talks about that a little bit. He said, I love Power Trip, and this episode made me love them even more. Up until now, I've tended to regard this album as the significantly lesser of the two. I got it when it came out and really enjoyed it, but sort of wrote it off as a bit of fun but disposable nostalgia piece. When Nightmare Logic came out, that felt like a quantum leap forward for them. It was one of my favorite albums of the year. I never really bothered to go back and reassess this one, preferring to focus on the new stuff. Listening to it again now, I want to slap my past self. (laughs) There's so much more here to love than I originally recognized. Thanks to you guys, while I was initially disappointed that you didn't pick Nightmare Logic, I'm now extremely glad you did. Uh, He said, I tend to normally agree with Anthony Moore on aesthetic matters, but I have to say I'm with Brian on the production on this one, The Punk Sensibility and the lo-fi sound adds so much atmosphere and energy, and I've always preferred a low vocal mix. Fair enough. Uh, Andrew said, I'm still listening, but it sounds like they've recorded this in a live old school hall. (laughs) Um, Tortoise said, I like to compare this sounds like band A and band B. Power Trip to me has always reminded me of Death Meets uh, TSOL. What's TSOL?
1: Uh, Do you know, I'm not sure. (laughs)
0: uh Let's see what else we got here. I was going to
1: say Future Sound of London, is there <laughs> but that's FSOL, obviously. That's the only bandocking thing, and obviously that you know. I'm not sure it's, at all, so, but... it's so
0: simple, and we're just immediately missing it. um And then David said, "Volume on 90s soundtracks, please," because I think we did we talk uh, yeah. about soundtracks in that one? I think I, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure I mentioned the we talked about, 10s, about movie soundtracks
1: one. like the Judgment Night soundtrack and stuff. We were talking yes. about the crossovers
0: totally yes we we could do a whole volume on those because there are some really great ones out there
1: tsol and, uh, is a punk punk band i've just found them tsol true sounds of liberty american punk oh, okay. rock band formed in 78 in long beach california according to wikipedia so
0: yeah and the punk sensibility is definitely heavily on that uh manifest estimation album for sure well, there you go. That is our, That is some blasts from the Facebook page. So again, if you're not a member of the Facebook group, there are always great discussions of every episode and a ton of stuff in between, especially when we're, we're off for, you know, a month plus in between an episode yeah, like we have been this time. There's been so much. Posting uh, new
1: music and videos and, you know, uh, funny stuff and what have you. And news sometimes as well. Yeah, it's good stuff.
0: Yeah. And this group always does a wonderful job of keeping people up to date on, like, new singles that get released, new bands that people might not have heard of. And it's definitely, uh, it's my version of the music news to go and check and see what members (laughs) of the community are posting, for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, So you can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. And, yeah, it's a very good community worth, you know, worth joining and uh, dropping in because there's some great stuff on there. Uh, so, oh, actually, you know, before we, before we get into Machine Head, one of the things, I don't know why, something occurred to me. I wanted to emphasize for, cause we, we've, you know, it's been a while, I think, since we mentioned this and we get new listeners all the time. Um, every, when Brian and I talk about an album, get and do the, you know, get together and do this and record an episode to talk about the album, it is the first time that we have discussed that album. I just want to make clear that like there's no we don't rehearse things. No. We don't compare notes. We don't sort of, you know, oh well, you talk about this bit and then I'll talk about that bit or anything like that. We have and this is a deliberate choice because that's kind of the premise of the show <laughs> is that we we don't discuss it beforehand other than sort of you know scheduling for recording the episodes and stuff. We don't actually talk uh, about our opinions, if you like, of the music beforehand, because we want this to be a record of you know our spontaneous conversation and true reactions to each other's each other's reactions to it to the record.
0: A hundred percent. And also, we are old and busy, and so <laughs> the idea that uh, honestly, like this show, arguably would not still be happening if there was a need to rehearse or to overly script or any of that stuff. Like I think you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth in the sense of like, we both like to be organized. Obviously you wrote a book on being an organized writer. Uh, We both like to be organized, but we also like to get our workflow to a place where it's very repeatable. Yeah. And we, and that's the groove with the show. And, And to your point, like it would be a lesser show if we talked about it, Really, at all before we sat down and recorded, um, so I I feel like we've we have definitely hit our groove with you know putting together thrash it out for sure.
1: It absolutely would be a lesser show because I think you know some of the surprise and energy, hopefully that we have. I mean, we talk a lot about energy of bands on the show, and I hope that listeners get you know a similar sort of energy from us when we talk about it. And that is because it's the first time that we're talking. About a record to each other. That's one of the reasons why. I mean, obviously, some, you know, with some of the classics, we pick albums that we both know already, of course, you know, especially the early episodes. But as we've gone on, it's become more and more common that we'll pick something that the other is not familiar with. And it's really important to me, to the style of the show, uh, and to the, I think, the appeal of the show, I hope the appeal of the show, that that's the case. And so, you know, I genuinely don't know what you how you feel about machine head. I don't think you'd ever heard this album before. Um, and so part of that process of discovery between ourselves, between each other is for me, a big part of the show. And I hope it is for listeners as well.
0: It is definitely a huge part of the show for me. And you are correct in that I had not listened to this album before.
1: So, all right, let's talk about, uh, the band, I guess, before we get to the album specifically, um, i mean most people as you say machine head it's hard to be a metalhead and not at least have heard of machine head even if you're not that familiar with them formed in 91 as you said in los angeles uh rob flynn had formerly been in a band called violence uh he has said over the years that apparently that band was getting like embroiled in la gang wars (laughs) and he literally was just like fuck this (laughs) <laughs> and he'd been, like, toying with this Machine Head side project with Adam Deuce, uh, the bass player, and eventually just went, yeah, fuck this, and just left violence uh, and, you know, decided to do make Machine Head his full-time thing. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, they were joined first by Logan Maidron Guitar and Chris Contus and Drums, although Chris Contus only lasted one album before uh, moving on. Um but all the positions have changed over the years that's the thing machine head is and I you know I don't think he'd deny this especially not now it is has always been a Rob Flynn project essentially it's always been his vision that drives the band uh I think that I have an clear. interview
0: on a thing on that in a couple minutes will we
1: right yeah yeah well and it means that there are sometimes there are missteps because it's you know what he says goes um but I don't think any there are any, you know any more missteps than most other bands frankly and i've been into them since oh i should say the lineup for this album i mean like i said about it changing uh this album you've got rob Flynn, yeah and adam deuce were still there but you've got dave mclean on drums and phil who uh had just joined on guitar but that lineup people often think of that as kind of the classic lineup if you like even though it's you know this is their third fourth album um this line is one of the longest standing lineups of machine head. I think this lineup was around for basically 10 years, uh, which for this band is quite a long time. <laughs> yeah. And I think demo start.
0: was there for like 16 years or something right. like that. And and what's yeah. interesting to that about me and they, uh, I always go back and forth between calling them violence or violence because they yeah, have hyphen in the in it, middle yeah. of their name, <laughs> but, um, that, that sort of, uh, roots, that's very interesting to me because obviously the two of them played guitar in violence. Yes. And now you have demo years later, because obviously that was in the eighties that they were part of the Bay area thrash scene and very well thought of that, that um, that first album of theirs uh, eternal nightmare is really considered and may maybe something that we talk about in a future episode of this show. But the fact that they came from that Bay Area thrash scene, and then now Demol joins the group for this album, and this is the album that you picked, and for me, I think was a treat, because it gave me like something very clear to sort of start off with, of like, okay, these guys were both part of the thrash yeah. scene together, and now, where do I see that show up in these songs as we kind of go through this album
1: well and this album again without getting into specifics but just generally this album it really is a sort of culmination of all the things they had done up until that point uh and that includes yeah as you say their sort of days certainly for flint and uh demo in the thrash scene in the bay area thrash scene because uh or the california thrash scene i suppose you could call it um because yeah they as you say they were a part of that and you can absolutely hear that, you know, on their early albums and very much on this one. But this one also comes about after the new metal phase, after things like the Burning Red. Um, and so does kind of reincorporate parts of that phase of their career into the, re- into the record and into the music as well. I think, you know, in a good way, that's why it's one of my favorite albums of theirs, because it's a great synthesis of everything they'd done up until that point and also as we'll talk about when we get into the album and also uh just because they were like fuck it <laughs> on this album and just doing whatever the hell they wanted to because they'd been dropped by the record label and they're like well if we, this might be the last one so let's just go for it um yeah
0: this album to me is like a shepherd's pie of different influences <laughs> right yeah. where you know i think my my schema for this in terms of the lens that i or the influences that i hear here to me, Testament, Exodus, White Zombie, Pantera, and like Biohazard, yep. those are the those are the bands that are kind of rattling around in my head as I'm listening to this album. And the more that I listen to it, the more that I kind of liked the sloppy, and it's not sloppy's a bad word, but the the sort of uh, blurry, maybe uh, mashing up yeah. of all these different, n- not even necessarily different genres, but different styles. All together, and it really rewards multiple listens.
1: It does. It does. And part of that is down to just Flynn being an excellent guitar player, uh, a really good riff writer. Um, you know, there's the musicianship in level in Machine Head has always been high. Um, you know, they're, but what I, one of the things I like about them is that they are clearly, like every single person who's ever been in Machine Head is clearly a very, very technically proficient player, but they don't let it override. They don't let that override the songs and the music, Um, you know, and some of Flynn's riffs sound downright sloppy. They do sound sloppy, but they ain't. (laughs) Right. No, it's
0: it's, again, it's very intentional the way they do it. But I think that that sort of um, blurriness, if we're using that term, is what maybe maybe they don't get enough credit for the technicality because of that. but there's definitely a lot of layers to dig into for sure
1: so i'm just going to relate how i first came across machine head because it's funny to me that you they're so ubiquitous you know in many ways and they've been around now for so long that the idea of somebody not being that familiar with them to me is a bit weird somebody who's into metal like you so i'm 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 going to ask you to expand on that in a bit i'll just tell you how i first came across them it was of all the places this is so weird in 1994 in the summer of 94 i went into railing uh which over here is basically you buy a a european rail pass that allows you to go pretty much anywhere in europe unlimited for free on the trains because um, we have a very good train network here in Europe, uh, and so I I did that, and I actually spent like you know time either side of the pass's validity as well, just holidaying in Europe. So I was over there for quite a while, and um, after the interrailing, after we'd you know jetted round Europe on the trains, we wound up back in Paris for a while, just camping in Paris and hanging out. And while we'd been away, Burn My Eyes had been released, and I think I'd heard. I think I'd read in Kerrang about anticipation for it before we released. But then while we were on the road, I really didn't, you know, it was not a thing that I was concerned about at all. And then we just happened to be in Paris. We went into the Virgin Mega Store back when Virgin Mega Stores existed. And this was also back when they had listening stations, you know, where like the hot singles and albums would all be, you'd go into a booth and stick on some headphones. Uh, and they had burned my eyes in one of the listening stations at the megastore i think it had only been out maybe like two or three weeks at that point and uh and i remember putting the headphones on listening to the first track davidian which anybody who knows machine head my goodness it just melted my face (laughs) and i was like that's it okay i have to get this album as soon as i get home i couldn't buy it there and, and take it home that would have been impractical but yeah the minute i got back uh to the uk straight down the record store and bought burn my eyes and i've basically been a fan ever since and you know i'm not a, a mega fan or anything um you know you know follow them around or whatever but i as far as i'm concerned there are no truly bad machine head albums you know they differ in quality uh over the years but i've, I've got everything they've done and it's always at least worth a listen you know to some greater or lesser degree so they've just all yeah ever since that kind of that formative period, as people know, for me, in the early to mid-90s, Machine Head has been around, and as far as I'm concerned, they've always been one of the top metal bands, which is a bit why, why it's a bit weird that it took me so long <laughs> to get around to putting them on the show. Um, so, yeah, tell me, how did you first hear them then? Because, like I say, that's they've always been there for me. They've always been, you know, one of the, oh, you know, Machine Head, of course, uh, one of those bands. But if you... Didn't get into them until much later. How did you actually come across them?
0: I mean, I think it, it, I don't think that I, that I didn't come across them. I think I dismissed them. Right. Like whatever the first impression I had of them was, didn't grab me. And it's interesting because that this question overall it leads me back as I was talking about earlier to just think about where I was in my music sort of listening career, you know, at that particular point in time. So these guys formed in 1991. That was the year I saw Clash of the Titans, and it was kind of the death knell of that thrash scene of, yeah, you yeah, know... grunge killed it. Grunge killed it. And so, I had a big chip on my shoulder about a lot of what was coming out in the early 90s, and kind of piled it all into the grunge, you know, conversation, right, of like... The era of the music that I loved the most, hair metal and old school thrash metal, was ending. And everything that was coming new wasn't that, and I didn't like it. And so there was a part of me that was definitely not as open to even hearing new music that I wasn't already familiar with at that point in time. And so, and really that carried me into college where I was just listening to whatever my roommates were listening to as well as like everything I already knew. And so it was a time where I wasn't expanding my horizons at such a rapid rate as I had been during the eighties, because in the eighties, like I've probably talked about this before, but like every eighties band, their first album is amazing because they had so long to polish it. And they had played all the songs in the bar scene and stuff like that. And so I just felt like during that particular time in my high school years, there was albums coming out every week, and they were all great. All these first albums, all these bands debuting, like it was just constant. So I was constantly consuming new and building that whole, you know, sort of landscape for myself. And then when it got to the early 90s, it was kind of the death of that era of music for me, especially Metal. I mean, Thrash kind of struggled its way through, but like by the early 90s, anything that was getting, considered yeah. glam or hair... Or thrown into that discussion was there was really no room for it. And so Machine Head would have been a band that I would have seen on Headbangers Ball or heard a song from during a block of whatever, you know, uh, down here it was uh, CCC, was the radio station that I listened to. Down here, I would have heard, you know, something from them on there. But whatever I was hearing from them at the time wasn't enough for me to go out and actually seek out an album. And so I just never got hooked into them when they were around in the early days. And so I don't have that history of what they sounded like before they got to an album like this. Um, I just almost pretty much missed them entirely during that time. Again, they were in conversations with other bands that I was familiar with and was listening to and, and definitely had already developed kind of a relationship with, but um I was very sort of so, like, there was only a few bands of that, Period of time that kind of made it into my listening. Alice in Mm -hmm. Chains, because I had seen him on Clash of the Titans, and that album came out in 90, I think. The facelift album came out, might have come out in 90. So it was out by the time that they had done like Clash of the Titans. Um, A little bit of Soundgarden, but again, that was more because I had college roommates that were listening to it. And um, yeah, so there wasn't, and everything else to me was kind of in the grunge discussion, almost in the same way like that whole new metal discussion. I don't, I don't have a lot of familiarity with new metal bands because I just, as a genre at the time, I was just like, I don't feel like that's for me and just wasn't really engaging with it a lot. And it's only like in my later adult years now, coming back to a lot of the stuff that I didn't really give a chance before or didn't really get into too much before that I'm sort of filling in that period of time and, um, yeah, so Machine had just a band that, again, the name was out there. Certainly I, I was seeing songs on, you know, Headbringers Ball or, or hearing them on the radio, but not enough to make me go explore further.
1: So in the mid nineties, you just kind of weren't getting into that many new bands anyway. And then in the late nineties, when you might've been more open to it, they went new metal and you were like, fuck that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's just bad like, timing, yeah.
0: <laughs> like the poster band for new metal for me was um and I remember seeing them at Ozfest was Adema. And um they had like one song that got played incessantly off of their debut album. I think I actually might have picked up their debut album, but I definitely saw them at um at Ozfest and it just wasn't it, it just made me turn back to what I already knew. Yeah. Like the whole new metal discussion, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to still continue to buy the thrash bands that are still making albums, you know, right now uh, and continue to live in the eighties uh, during that time, which is why, you know, my depth of familiarity with eighties music is so big is because it's just like, you when carried there was an on era of music that I wasn't clicking with, I would go back to, <laughs>
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> like, I guess I'm listening to Tesla again tonight, you know? like
1: <laughs> <laughs> So uh, one of the things that I, Really liked about machine head as well and about Flynn as a songwriter is that his lyrics uh you know were kind of for the time were much more i don't know i guess sort of in tune with what had come from grunge than eighties metal and thrash metal and stuff you know very very sort of socially conscious lyrics, lots of stuff about uh urban unrest and uh you know dysfunctional families and all that sort of thing um which just did help them stand out uh but then he carried on with that through the new metal phase as well and that really i thought made them kind of they didn't sound like anybody else at that time i mean they never have machine head has always sounded very unique like you know you can you can hear a riff and go is that is that rob flynn yes it is uh he's just got Something about the way he writes riffs and the way he plays riffs that is really, really distinctive. And then when you couple that, obviously, with his vocals, very distinctive voice, but also his lyrics, nobody else sounded like Machine Head, even during their new Metal phase, Um, which I find really appealing. And it's one of the reasons that I liked them, even during that phase. I mean, I like new Metal more than probably most anyway, but I thought they were doing really interesting stuff during that time. And then, as I say, obviously, this album, this is the first album. I just realised that I misspoke earlier. This is their fifth studio album. And it was the first album after that uh, album. It was after the followed the Burning Red. And uh, it was, like I say, they'd been dropped by Roadrunner. Sorry, not Burning Red. My mistake. Supercharger. That's it. So after Burning Red came Supercharger, which was a similar sort of style uh, but supercharger did not exactly bomb, but it didn't. It wasn't a massive, like you know, huge success that Roadrunner had hoped. Part of that was incredibly bad timing because the first single from it was called "Crashing Around You" and featured yep. a music video of uh, you know burning distro- buildings being destroyed, and basically came out at the same time as nine eleven. And so, yeah, I think
0: they said the album came out three weeks after nine eleven.
1: Yeah. So Which of and, course and at, th- at that time you remember the whole clear radio controversies and you know yep. Anthrax basket full of puppies and all that. It was this was not a good time for metal. Uh and so yeah, they were dropped basically, and they were kind of in the wilderness a bit, but they hadn't been dropped by Roadrunner Europe because the two are kind of run independently. And so with this album, you have this really weird situation where they actually released this everywhere except the US first. And then, because it turned out so well, uh, the US went, oh, actually, yeah, okay, we'll re-sign you and we'll release it over here as well, Uh, which is also why the running order is a bit weird, because there's a track on here, and we will include it in this discussion. We're doing the US version of this album, but if you're in Europe and you have an original version of this album, there is a track in the middle, or sorry, somewhere near the end, I should say, uh, which you don't have. (laughs) <laughs> seasons Wither track eight is uh not on the Euro- the original european release i reckon they put it on there to convince all the american fans who had bought an album on import to rebuy the american version again but yeah may- maybe i'm too sense. cynical i don't
0: know <laughs> no i don't think you are i think that makes perfect
1: sense <laughs> um but it was the beginning of their revival of their fortunes as it were um and this was a very successful album. It ha- even had a hit single, if you can believe that. And uh yeah, sort of set them back on the path of um, you know, being re-embraced by the metal fans. Basically saying to everyone, look, hey, we can still do all this shit. You know, we may have gone away and done a bit of new metal and stuff for a while, but we are still, remember, we are heavy as fuck and we are the band that did burn my eyes. Uh, which is if you've never heard it, you really should go and listen to it. It's an incredibly heavy album. Um and yeah, so it, it sort of, as I say, kind of reversed their fortunes a little bit and put them back onto this path where now they've been going for, yeah, 30 years and are sort of granddaddy veterans of the metal scene. But one of the things that I want just quickly want to point out with, again, talking about Flynn and sort of how this is very much his vision, because of when and where he grew up, and he's said this many, many times, he grew up listening to a lot of stuff like hip-hop and rap, so you know, compared to some of the bandwagon jumpers, uh, the new metal stuff wasn't that unexpected or unusual for machine head. I don't think. And it's one of the reasons why they have still done it from time to time because he's just really into hip hop and rap, you know? Uh, and you yeah, can... yeah
0: I, I actually have a quick thing about that. So oh, go on, in go an on. interview that he did, uh, 2012, someone said, uh, you know, the of course, the standard question of like, what are your influences growing up? Right. And he said, um, the band that did it for me was Black Sabbath. That was my that band pretty much changed the direction of my life. They made me want to play guitar. Metallica, too. I was a kid growing up in the Bay Area, so I happened to be in the golden era of thrash. The California thrash bands, Exodus, Metallica, Slayer, were also a huge influence on me. There was a great, thriving punk rock scene here, too. Bands like Dead Kennedys, DRI, and Suicidal Tendencies. Then California gangster rap started coming out, so you know it All kind of blended into one big mishmash, and we just took it from there. And I think that, I mean... That's what I hear in yeah, absolutely. This band.
1: I mean, I, I don't have any direct quotes like that, but I just know over the years, lead reading and listening to interviews with him that he continually, you know, even when it's gone, sort of, even when new metal went out of favor or whatever, he never disowned that part of their career. He never said, "Oh, that was a terrible mistake," or you know, because he's like, "No, I fucking love hip hop." You know, I listen to loads of rap music. Screw you. <laughs> And I I like
0: that. (laughs) Yeah. And the irony is I probably would have liked these guys during that era of their sound, too, because that's what I was into as well. I listened to a ton of hip hop starting back in the early 80s days of like old school rap. Sure, yeah. You know, and so I was that would have been right in my wheelhouse at the time but i just again whether it was because of what i was seeing on mtv or you know the occasional song i would hear here or there you mentioned that they had a hit single was it um was it days turned blue to gray
1: from this album yeah that's right
0: yes okay because that it's when we talk about that song that makes sense to me that that was the the single that and that may be like something that i saw from them at the time that came out for sure but um yeah, that mishmash, as he said in that interview, totally makes sense to me. I, I can hear all of that in this album.
1: You absolutely can, but I love the fact that he has taken all of those influences and, like I said, made, turned them into a distinctive sound to the point where when you hear, as say, you hear a Machine Head riff, you're like, oh, that's a Machine Head riff.
0: A bit like well, and, a bit like Sabbath. Would,
1: a bit like an Iommi riff. You hear Iommi, you're like, oh, that's Black Sabbath. You can't mistake it for anything else.
0: Well, not only that, but he took all of those things and the sound is heavy as shit. Oh yeah. Like this band <laughs> is heavy.
1: Yeah. And I always have been. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: take whatever elements you want. When you put them into a sound that's as heavy as this sound, you're doing something right. Like yeah. this band is heavy.
1: <laughs> All right. So yeah, the album is, as I say, through the ashes empires, 2003, there are 11 tracks on it, which in my opinion is maybe a track or two, too many, but you know, uh, and it's, a, it's an hour long, 60 minutes. Um, if I have one criticism, consistent criticism of Machine Head throughout their entire career, it's that every album feels like it could have one or two songs chopped off of it and nobody would be any the worse for it, you know? Um, they occasionally just go on a little bit too long. Uh, but that's that's my only sort of consistent criticism of them. Uh, and I think yeah, that's true of this totally, album as well. Cool.
0: I, I could totally see that. And the, the, um, the one last comment I wanted to get in before we start talking about the the tracks is that mm-hmm. uh in a recent interview with uh phil Demel, he talked about leaving machine head in 2018 and what he ba- what it basically came down to is that he said as the years went on it became more and more of like a rob solo project so it sounds like yeah. from you know him kind of talking about where it started and where it ended when he first joined the band, like for this album, and he had played with them before, but but this was the first album that he appeared on. It was more of a collaborative effort. But as time went on, it became much more of a singular
1: vision. It was, although I don't think he actually contributed much to the writing on this album. I don't think. Uh, Yeah, no, he's not credited. I know he's credited on two tracks. Musically on the album, yeah. I'm sure I remember reading that because he was, I mean, obviously him and Flynn had known one another, but because he was a new addition to the band uh, on this album, yeah, he actually wasn't that involved in the songwriting. But for the following albums, all of which are also excellent, by the way, things like Blackening and Unto the Locust, also great, great Machine Head albums, he was much more involved, Um, but not particularly on this one.
0: Well, and he had even talked about, in some cases, like... Rob not wanting them to do interviews with the press and stuff like that. Like just being really controlling about the whole operation of the band as kind of time went on. And that's not an uncommon story, you know, especially when it's sort of founded with one person's vision. Right. I mean,
1: exactly. Yeah, it's uh, extremely common. And I think you have to I mean, this was even though it was their fifth album, it was still relatively, you know, now looking back <laughs> relatively early in the band's career uh you know maybe you don't know that going in or maybe just because he and uh demo and flynn had known one another already for so many years that he didn't think that would be the case but from the outside looking in like i say it's always been a flynn solo project i don't think there's ever been any question of that and like i say for the good for both good and ill you know with all the the good and bad that that brings um but overall i think it's I think it's paid off.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, well, I wasn't going to say Megadeth, but I'll say it just for those who play no, playing I, the drinking game. I, I, I'm going to say it. Even just I was going to make a
1: Megadeth comparison, yeah, because yeah. it's the same sort of thing. It's like, look, that you know, this is my band. <laughs> you know, take that or leave it. um I was just going to say, talking about you know, sort of how heavy they are and this album is, uh and most of their albums are. If you haven't heard "Burn My Eyes," you really should go back and listen to it and listen to that sort of if you can. Imagining the context of 1994, um, it really was a kind of like, "What the fuck?" You know, melt your face off kind of album when it was released. Oh, I'm
0: totally digging into the whole discography yeah. now. And actually, the the one thing I went back and listened to uh, a few times before this episode was the Violence album that they oh right yeah played on together, which is such a good like old school. <laughs> I I can't help listen to it, but also try to think about what you would think about it as I was listening to it. So yeah. (laughs) yeah.
1: uh, Like you say, maybe we'll do it. Maybe we'll cover it. Yeah. All right. And let's get into the album itself. So track one, it opens with Imperium.
0: shit like (laughs) i think i think this song is and there's going to be many more songs on this album where you have a lot more to say than i do about the individual songs but i think this song in particular is the song that encapsulates the sound of this album yeah so in some ways it's the perfect kind of opening song but that whole like shepherd's pie Uh, layering, multiple listens, conversation, like this, you could do a whole episode just about this song because it's got so much to dig into. And I think what struck me that became a theme throughout the whole rest of the album is the way that they build the sound. Yeah. The way that the song comes in, because there's so many, especially like, Metal, but definitely like thrash in general, like the riff is immediate, right? And these guys don't do that a lot. Like the riff, it it builds to whatever, it builds to a reveal of what the riff is. And by the time that you, through the drums and just the kind of wall of noise that's building, by the time you get to a minute and a half where the song just explodes, it's such a wonderful build to that main riff that it just it's it, it just like a perfect example of like where they go and then the song from there like you've got elements of melody there you've got the you know more melodic singing versus the you know more growly like just complete aggression singing the song gets very thrashy towards the end of it with another great riff and like just the sheer emotional aggression of the way that he delivers his vocals, all of that, which is, again, many, many, many points on this album, but it's all present in this first song, which I think the more you listen to it, when you go back to this song, it's the mission statement for the whole album.
1: I think build to reveal is a really good way of putting it. Yeah, they are it's a it's a machine head staple you know a lot of their tracks as you say build and they have that kind of ominous intro that builds and builds and then it as you say explodes and just but yeah i like that the the reveal of the riff that's a good way of putting it putting it and they are just really good at it they are you know like like say they do it a lot but when you're this good at it why not You know, do what you know. Um, yeah, you say that build through the clean and then the massive chords and the pounding drums. And then, yeah. Oh, the drums. And we didn't actually, I mean, I should say that. That's another thing. Another reason, genuinely, that I really like Machine Head is just I really, really like Flynn's vocal style. I think he's got a fantastic voice. He is right in that sweet spot for me of the, like, the really harsh growl, but with the aggression like it sounds like every syllable is being shouted spat at you through gritted teeth you know yes Uh, and he's just his voice is so good for that and i love it that's like i said that's my sweet spot for these kind of vocals um and obviously he's versatile i mean as we'll hear on this album he does many many other styles of singing as well but when he does go growl my goodness (laughs) it's a real roar um and the riff here, yeah, this is classic. It is a classic Machine Head riff. The harmonics and the groove rhythm, that's kind of what I meant about you know a Machine Head riff when you hear it. Yeah. You know, the good news is basically if you like this riff, hey, great, because they've got a ton of them, yep. a <laughs> ton more of them coming up. And they're all Absolutely. kind of, not the same, but they're all in this same style. Um, right. Like, I, it cracks me up that on this song, even the clean guitar bit at the start of the song has harmonics it's like he can't help himself
0: <laughs> oh i know which is kind of like a to me there's a little black label society throwing there in there too because uh zach cannot stop himself yeah. from uh doing that <laughs> i mean he to, for him it's like literally every five seconds but yeah. which it's not it's not that pervasive here but it's definitely here and i felt like the beginning of the song is very call of cthulhu
1: yeah from Metallica. yeah yeah
0: um, just that somber, which somber is a word that I feel like is definitely present, certainly the subject matter of some of the yeah. lyrics of, of this album too, but just that very sad, uh, melancholy sort of thing, flipping the switch to sheer anger and aggression. Mm. It's like that that constant tug of war between depression and anger, you yeah. know? And I feel like that plays out really well in that sort of build, reveal, or you know, verse, chorus, or when the song sort of switches gears mid-song or something like that. And and that's done to great effect on multiple songs on this album.
1: Yeah, that that is yeah, you're absolutely right. That's something that he's really good at. Um, That mixture and the contrast of the two as well, and you know, making them contrast without them feeling out of place is a real skill uh, and something Mm -hmm. that Flynn's just got even better at, I think, over the years. Um, Something else he's really good at is writing choruses. And this is, again, a fairly common thing that they do. But if you listen to the chorus in this one, it's divided into three parts, but they're the same tune. It's the same tune. I mean, it's not even that much of a tune, (laughs) but it's the same tune in each of the three parts. You get the open chords with barely any drums to start with, then you get the chugging guitar with the halftime drums, and then you get the same chugging guitar, but with regular drums. So it builds up, and, you know, even the the chorus builds up yep. to sort of speed. Um, but like I say, if you listen to the actual notes being played, it's the same tune. But because of the, the rhythmic difference, you know, at first, unless you're analysing it like we are, you wouldn't necessarily notice that. But what it does is it just pulls you along. It's propulsive. Um... And as I say, they're just something they do quite a lot. They're really good at that.
0: How about the part where you can hear him, like, take a breath and steal himself for the next verse? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's so good.
1: Yeah, his vocals are, uh, I mean, like I say, I like them. But yeah, one of the things that he is quite good at about, I think, is that, yeah, he doesn't clean them up a lot. You can hear a lot of breaths and preparations. Uh, and stuff and efforts as he's you know as he's going through the song and i think that's good because it leaves that kind of raw natural sound
0: well and here i feel like it's it's definitely it's less of a not cleaning up thing and more of a deliberate choice because with the emotional lyrics that he is in the catharsis of it Mm. it's like expelling this is cathartic but also painful right and so you, you, it kind of has that feel to me of like you know go, going back into battle you know
1: well and he said that the lyrics of this song are basically this whole song is 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 them sticking a middle finger up to all the people who dismissed them after their last couple of albums right uh you know and going like you know fuck you we are still here and we are still heavy as shit <laughs> yep. yeah and by the way we're going to prove it um i mean the breakdown here as well uh, is even that's you know heavy. And obviously, as you said, then you get towards that sort of traditional thrash bit at the end. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention was uh, if anybody has got a copy of Burn My Eyes out there, have a listen to the end, the, the kind of wind-out riff at the end of Davidian, the opening track on Burn My Eyes, and then have a listen to the galloping riff in the breakdown of this track. Um, they're not the same, but they are quite similar. And... I've often wondered if that's deliberate, you know, if that's because this is, as I say, a sort of return to form style album. I've often wondered if that's in there as a deliberate kind of callback to like, Hey, remember this, you liked this, (laughs) you'll like it here as well.
0: Uh, I think also you cannot say enough about Dave McLean's drums. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, just the percussion. Like on the percussive element of their sound, it would not be the same without the thunderous drums that he provides.
1: Yeah. And again, he's versatile. He's really good. Cause this is the same guy who drummed on the burning red, you know, um, who is, but also clearly capable of, yeah, the the sort of more straight ahead thrash stuff. Uh, Yeah. Really versatile, a really sort of musical drummer. I feel, you know, very much one of those drummers who is like, okay, what does this song need? What will actually suit this song rather than how can I show off? Um, Yeah, great stuff. There's And you're right, it's a great opener for the album because it does sum up what you're going to get for the rest of the album. But also, it's just one of their best songs, I think. Like, you know, every band has a song or two that encapsulates them. You know, we've talked about this before. There's, You name a band, you immediately think of a few songs. And for me, this is one of them for Machine Head. You've got this, you got Davidian from Burn My Eyes, uh, and I Am Hell from Unto the Locust. Um, all three of which are opening tracks, incidentally, and I'm sure that's not a coincidence. <laughs> but if you, you know, if somebody asked me, well, what do Machine Head sound like? Those are the three tracks that I would play them. I'd say, listen, that will give you a pretty damn good idea of... What they sound like, and also how good they are. Um, yeah, this is an absolutely superb track.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a track that I would use to introduce this band to other people, yeah. for sure.
1: All right, move on then to track two Bite the Bullet. I love this song. The the main riff, that main riff is just so <laughs> it's brutal. I know brutal is a word that gets overused a lot when talking about metal, but it really is. It is so deep. God knows what they're tuned down to, like B or something, I don't know. Uh and the rhythm of it and it is just pounding and crushing. Um and it's one note and then the the clean parts of the verse are also just one note. Like this whole song is built on rhythm. It's all rhythm. But then what that does is it set things up, sets things up so that when the pre-chorus and the chorus come in with, you know, hey, chord changes, what a concept. (laughs) It's really powerful and almost kind of uplifting because you've had this pounding monotone for so long and suddenly you're like, whoa, wait, wait, a different note. What's going on? Um, Yeah, really effective.
0: Yeah, and just like vocally, like the kind of drawing out the hesitation of the last word, and then that's where the punch comes in, right? Of particular lines, like yeah. I understand your every dot 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 fear, yeah. Yeah. and then it you know comes crashing in. Um, this song definitely, to me, more sludgy, groovy. Um, this is this felt a little bit more like White Zombie to me. Mm. Um, but yeah, like an, it's a good counter punch to the first song like yeah. the first song was almost like a it's a just a juggernaut of a train coming at you and this song has a little bit more of a push pull to it
1: well and it's the shortest track on the album this as well um oh yeah
0: 321 right
1: yeah, uh, yeah. But, but that's as long as it needs you know it doesn't need any more than that and as you say after the opener as well which is a longer track because it's got that big build-up at the start it's a real yeah a real kind of like okay quick short sharp shock you know punch you in the mouth kind of thing um that really works as a good contrast but is also yeah again still really really heavy and that that bit in the chorus where he sort of almost goes Grr, before bite the bullet yes <laughs> i love that bit you can practically hear his gritty teeth going <laughs> like a, yeah well like and that, kind of, that
0: reminds me of like the breath that in the first song <laughs> yeah. right like you you're getting to me, it just lends this, like, authenticity to it of, like, just just singing this song and saying these words is emotionally, like, wrecking. Yeah. And you just kind of—I like that. I To me, like, this. his vocals are something that first listened through, didn't blow me away. And I think it's because he's not super polished, right? Mm-hmm. Even in the, you can hear a lot of times. Even in the more melodic parts, that he's not cleaning up his vocals. There's no auto tune going on here. There, like his, he gets shaky in certain areas and stuff. But the when you start to click into what the words are that are being said, and then start to really feel the overall emotion of this album, like the rawness of how he delivers his vocals to me becomes one of the standout elements of their entire sound. So that that's a good example to me of something where like multiple listens made me continue to appreciate more his vocal style. Yeah, and and I, I just like that. I like that it it feels like he is emotionally drained.
1: Yeah, it's it's like
0: you know singing through these things.
1: It's as you say. There's kind of a, almost like a raw honesty, and yeah, sure, it's a performance, of course, but still, there is you know there can be honesty in performance as well. And I think you definitely get that with him. If any, if you want to see, really, just how fucking good a vocalist he is, there is uh, when it was the I think twentieth anniversary or something I can't even remember. There's somehow an anniversary of this album's release uh, last year during lockdown. He and the current bassist did a playthrough of the whole album in they did it for facebook live i think um yeah no it was that was it because every five minutes he's going hey facebook live how's it going (laughs) between every song um but it's literally them in like a rehearsal space i don't know it looks like it might be you know somebody's spare bedroom or something uh with a couple of racks no backing tracks no drums no nothing else no second guitarist it's just flynn and his guitar and the bass player And they play through this entire album from start to finish without a break. And it's incredible. It's uh, (laughs) just like, you know, amazing. Um,
0: I definitely want to watch that. Yeah. uh,
1: But one of the things you get is you see, I mean, the whole thing is just, you know, enjoyable and worth watching, but you see how good a vocalist he is because he does all the parts. I mean, the, the bassist is doing some backing vocals here and there on that video but you know Flynn gets he switches from clean to harsh and singing to growl and all that sort of stuff almost effortlessly um yeah it's just it's really impressive that uh, as I say they just go from start to finish the entire album um yeah worth watching maybe I'll put a link to that actually I'll make a note maybe I'll put a link to that yeah please do um in the show notes for the episode because as I say if you didn't see it it's yeah, it's worth a watch. uh All right, we're well, talking about emotion. Let's go on to track three. Left unfinished.
2: Why was I Sometimes I was shy. No to put a gift of the earth within every time, or discarded and to the flock the bridge has you done
0: Probably my favorite track on the album. I think for for a song that I would introduce people to the band, it would be track one. And just for sheer aggression and riffage, I think track one, but for emotion, this song. And I, I tend to click with the emotion stuff. Um, And this song is really, really powerful. And a great example of like, the melody and the aggression like kind of going back and forth about this, but just the, the pain that is conveyed through this song, um, very heavy lyrics in terms of subject matter, but just that idea of like the damage that you do to someone and all the things that you leave them to sort of pick up the pieces of and stuff like that is just, super powerful imagery lyrics um and i love the chorus of this like it's it's a great example of that like aggression melody sort of combination it's really good um so yeah i love it for that reason more than any of i really feel like this song is very memorable to me from all of the songs on this album
1: it's absolutely one it's one that you can sing along to and then you feel bad about singing along to (laughs) it's you know because as you say of the content like so if people don't know rob flynn was adopted uh and you know rob flynn was not is not his birth name it's not stage name but it's not his birth name um the last words of this song lawrence matthew cardine that's his birth name but he was basically abandoned um and so yeah this is and that's what this song is all about and so that's pretty fucking raw you know that's a hell of a thing to write a song about um i think it's uh, which is also why you get the musical box, you know, uh, which yep. is cheesy as hell. But I mean, if you're gonna do that anywhere, it's you know, a song like this is is the place to do it. I guess. And then
0: you're gonna back it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's not. Uh, it may start out when you first hear it of like, oh, they they did the music box thing, but then it's like, then you get this song. Yeah. It's like okay. By the time you get to the end of the song, you you're not even thinking about the music box. You're just you're just emotionally raw. Uh, After the song, and to me, this is the power of metal right here. I mean, it's because, again, we've talked about this so many different times, but like so many of us come to metal because of the therapeutic element of it, right? The catharsis element of it, the fact that you can, uh, because a lot of music can reflect the challenges and struggles that people are going through. Metal allows you to kind of deal with it through that catharsis as well. And this song is just Like, you get all of that in this song.
1: It's one of the reasons, actually, just as an aside, why I never quite understood people's... There was, when emo, you know, became a thing, there was quite a bit of a backlash to it. And I was like, but that's, you know, the the attraction of metal for almost everyone is, frankly, you know, a fundamental emotional pain. (laughs) It's like, are we just going to deny that? I don't get it. Um, But yeah, uh, this absolutely has it. But it also, I, I think it's really interesting along those lines actually that you might expect a song like this with this kind of subject matter to be maybe a bit slow maybe a bit melancholic bits of acoustic you know the sort of thing but like no (laughs) no it is it's fast it's heavy the chorus like i say the chorus is really great to sing along to even though it's you know with this subject matter you're like oh my god i feel bad that the chorus makes me feel good uh it is just so not what you expect for the subject matter and that's yeah that's one of the reasons i love it oh it's not my favorite on the album but it is i remember actually that this was one of the first tracks that really stuck with me musically when i first heard this album so i'm not surprised that it has done so for you as well over time other tracks overtook it um but it is one that absolutely you can sort of immediately get into.
0: Yeah. And I think again, from a metal standpoint like that, just that ability to not have it be just a melancholy depressive song, but to acknowledge that with those feelings of despair and pain comes anger. Yeah. And to be able to deal with that. I think, I think that to me is where the power of metal comes in in terms of dealing with that is like, it's, you can't have one part of it without the other. And so songs that are only dealing with the sadness part or the, that kind of part, you, you're kind of only dealing with half the issue. And that's where I feel like a song like this is able to really transcend because it it is, it's really working you through it as you listen to it. And, and obviously whether or not you identify with these, this particular subject matter, just that you can feel the emotion that he's going through over the course of the song.
1: That's a really good point that you just made there, because one of the things I was thinking about when I was making notes about the song was, because this, as far as I'm aware, they do perform this live. You know, it's not sort of one, something that they never do live. And I was thinking, my God, it must be painful, you know, to sing this live repeatedly. Um, and I was thinking specifically, actually, of uh, Aaron from My Dying Bride. On their last uh-huh. album, he, he, their last album took a while to come out. They took a break because his daughter, very young daughter, uh, developed cancer. Um, and he just, you know, understandably went, right. No, that's it. The band's on pause, you know, while we right. deal with this. Um, and then she's went, underwent treatment, seen everything seems fine, you know, wonderful news, but he had a record to write. And, you can imagine naturally a lot of people said like so are there songs about that on this album and he was like are you fucking mad i've got to sing this over and over and over again on stage i don't want to be singing about that right (laughs) i don't want to be reminding myself about the worst two or three years of my entire life every time i get up on stage so he deliberately shied away from the subject matter and so that's that's the context i was thinking of this like uh, about this song and thinking, oh, it must be terrible for Flynn to have to sing this love of the time. But you're right; the difference, and certainly the difference between this band and My Dying Bride, is that there is also that catharsis and that triumphalism, which yes. you get in yeah. this sort of metal, which actually maybe makes it more bearable. You know, maybe, and maybe I'm overthinking this. I don't know, but given, I don't think you are, given because how, I
0: think it comes through on a lot of their songs. That that, yeah. Um, but I will overcome exactly.
1: These, yeah, given how raw this vocal is, you know, it's not like there's any kind of misinterpretation about what the song is about. Um, So, how raw the lyrics are, I should say. So, yeah, maybe that is what makes it more bearable. To, or maybe he's just crying his eyes out on stage every night. I don't know. I haven't...
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I
1: haven't seen him in years. Well, and I think
0: it also speaks to the fact that, like, a we continue to talk about kind of the the singular vision that drove this band right and and also how some people deal with their own trauma yep and, and that kind of thing and certainly it seems like for him this is a vehicle for that
1: oh yeah yeah and there are i mean this is not the only song where that he's clearly used as a sort of emotional outlet in that way um right uh but i mean still kind of emotional actually but in a much more general sense then let's move on to track four which is elegy starts off with squealing feedback and bent strings yeah. it's another one with a huge immense build it's kind yes. of stoner in a way i could see
0: that you know
1: uh and i was it thinking, it definitely
0: is not not the same vibe as uh the first song for sure
1: right and I, well i was gonna say i mean musically this could almost have been an album album opener but you not with these lyrics <laughs> because people might think that they were some kind of eco warrior band or something. <laughs> it's uh, so
0: funny you said that. It's got kind of a death clock vibe to the <laughs> vocals too, because it's like I keep thinking of the one where he's like, I'm strong, you're not. Because it's got kind of a caveman chorus of uh Earth belong not to you, belong all we to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um which I thought was pretty funny. But yeah, this this song to me has more of a sludgy, groovy Rhythm to it as well, and and those kind of like almost dreamy vocal d- delivery that he begins with is kind of like it's it's almost like the earth is exhausted,
1: yeah, <laughs> sort of thing. It, this is this track is a really good demonstration actually of what a good singer Flynn is, you know, like d- d- outside of the growling, just actual straight up singing. Uh, he does a really good job on this. Um, you're right that the lyrics, the, the chorus lyrics are so like he could have written they must be deliberate because he could have written them and made them fit the meter in a more comprehensible way uh and so you figure it has to be deliberate and it's not the only place he does it he does it have the occasional and you get this with a lot of metal bands as we know the occasional uh lyric where you're like that's not really very good grammar <laughs> but you know but but,
0: but to, <laughs> to put on my overthinking it hat i think if the Earth itself is communicating to humanity.:
1: Oh, maybe not, it would be more primitive.
0: Yes, that's where I, that's uh. where I think he's coming from with this.
1: You might be onto something there, actually, yeah. I, mean, I don't know uh, actually how much they play this one live, but I reckon it must be a fucking ton of fun to play live because it's not the fastest song. So you know you can sort of relax a bit and be a bit uh sort of sloppy and groovy, but also it's that chorus is so powerful uh yeah I, I just figure it must be a, an absolute ton of fun to to play
0: It's a really Yeah, good track. and I mean the lyrics are very dark and very eco warrior and very um I mean we didn't say this at the beginning of this episode, but this this album could come out today. Oh, yeah. And yeah. be just as uh, powerful and heavy and impactful as the day that it was released. And obviously, you look at a song like this that's just talking about, um, you know, acid rain and icicles melting and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look at the fact that the with global warming and all the horrific extreme weather that we're having all over the place, like just as unfortunately even more relevant today than the day that it was put out, you
1: know, absolutely. And musically it could, abs- it could be released today and nobody would bat an eyelid. That's for sure. A hundred percent. I think pretty much since this album, because their, their previous albums, maybe not so much in terms of the sound, but since this album from then onwards, I think any uh, album uh, could be released today, you know, even something like blackening or you could release today and people would go, yeah, you know, nobody would blink an eye and think, Oh, that sounds old fashioned or anything. Um, which again, I think is a a credit to well it 's a credit to them as songwriters and to Flynn as a songwriter, but also to the production and the the engineering and the sound uh on each album is just really it, it doesn 't hew to trends uh right. which is kind of ironic, given that they were accused of that you know early in their right. career uh but since as I say, they kind of came back with this album, they really haven 't um you know, we've talked before about how a, a lot of modern metal bands kind of have the same guitar sound and kind of have the same drum sound and certain producers will make a band sound the way they want them to rather than how the band does and Machine Head have, have just not, as I say, since this album was certainly have just not been like that at all. Uh, they sound like Machine Head <laughs> and, and that's it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Track five is In the Presence of My Enemies.
0: This riff, I feel like, is very testament.
1: Oh, Um, yeah.
0: When I listen to this song. And uh, I also really like the solo on this one, which I think is Phil Demel. I don't know if he plays all the solos on this album or not. I didn't look. uh, I think he plays
1: most of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I mean, definitely some great thrash, old school thrash elements to this song, Um, mixed with like a little bit of white zombie, which I think is really cool. (laughs) So. Um. But this is another one where it's kind of swirling, where the the, you know it builds to. I think it's around the fifty second mark where the killer riff really comes in. But it's uh, I think again and again and again you see kind of the build to the riff.
1: Yeah, I you know I would never have said White Zombie, but now that you especially the chorus actually now that you've said that, yeah, I can see it. Um, The the contrast actually in the chorus of this I really like where the the line with the lyrics is kind of slow and builds to a fast part, but then the fast part is instrumental. Feels like that's a bit unusual, you know, kind of you'd expect it to be almost the other way around, but I like that. And you're right, actually, the the fast instrumental part there does actually sound quite white zombie, doesn't it? I hadn't even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. Um, This is the first track it feels like to me as well, where we have a full on proper solo. Um, Yes which is probably why it stood out to you because we've had solos in tracks before this, but this is the first one that feels like, okay, I'm going to sit down and write a guitar. solo. it's like
0: an intentional solo. Yeah.
1: But this is the second longest song on the album as well. So, you know, kind of appropriate, I suppose. Um, if, if I have one criticism of this song, I think there is, there's maybe one too many sections in it because it is such a long song, and sometimes the changes between those sections feel a bit awkward. Um, you know, it's uh, it feels like a song that maybe you could chop a minute off and one of the sections out, and maybe that would make it a bit tighter. I don't know.
0: Um, well, the last minute in twenty is like turns into more of a thrashy. It does, yeah, uh, sort of thing. So maybe.
1: I mean that said the very last the the when he's literally just hollering on your grave I will stand that section that's great yeah. <laughs> that's fucking yeah. tremendous yeah. that is
0: <laughs> well and again you kind of have that interesting like subject first uh, lyrical line thing like death I will fight you to wrath provoked you cannot bear you know it's it a different he plays around with that kind of stuff a lot like just in terms of the the like grammatical layout yeah. of the lyrics you know
1: right like i said in the last song yeah it's not the only time that he does it it's maybe elegy is maybe the most extreme example of yep. it uh but yeah he does do it quite regularly and i'm sure a lot of it is to make the meter fit the words that he wants to For say sure. you know so that it, it fits kind of how he wants to sing it um but it does yeah rev- result in as you say lines like death i will fight you to," which is a bit death clock isn't it <laughs> a little bit yeah <laughs>
0: But yeah, which who knows i mean that may that may be a direct nod from brandon small from to, death clock
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah for sure because uh death clock is an amalgam of everything right um in the genre yeah. so
1: yeah yeah i hadn't thought of that but yeah you might be around to something there <laughs> uh all right let's move on to track six then the single days turn blue to gray
0: This is my note on this song. If there was a radio song on this album, this kind of feels like it.
1: That's really interesting.
0: That was was the note that I made when I listened to this song. I feel like it is a radio version of Left Unfinished.
1: Oh, right. Okay. That's really funny because I... Like, I like this song. It's fine. It's yeah. It's about abusive parents and the cycle of violence and stuff. But I've always found it a bit odd that this was a single and that it was a really successful single as well. Uh huh. Um, I mean, not so much the subject matter. We you know we know there have been that's songs about this sort of subject matter before that have been successful. That's whatever. But just musically, like it's good, but it's not my favorite on the album by any means. No, and, and there's elements like of it. I choice.
0: think the there's elements of it that I think really hit some of the high notes of like the left unfinished song where you kind of have the spiraling guitar part where it almost feels like you're yearning for something in the past. Like it's, it gets very emotional. Some of the, some of the lyrics, like, please won't you love me? Please help me see what did I do? Did I hurt you? You know, and now that you're gone, emptiness lives on like super powerful, emotional, Lyrics. There's some great builds in the song. It just doesn't come together in the way that uh, Left Unfinished does mm. for me, like all those elements kind of coming together. It has a lot of, especially the emotional pieces to it, but it just doesn't hit, I think, the same way. And so the, to me, if, I don't want to say watered down, but it did feel like a more radio aiming version of like the type of emotion that left unfinished had
1: yeah no i i can get on board with that it's uh, they do do a great job of the there's a build after the middle eight in this the the whole father mother bit which just builds and builds and builds and gets more and more frantic and and that's really good um
0: Um, and my note on that was what a build
1: yeah it's again (laughs) they're really good at it Do it they a are lot.
0: really good at. It. i mean that that to me i mean as you're saying this is indicative of a lot of their sound overall but that to me was a standout of like it was a theme for this album for sure
1: yeah yeah as i say they are they do it a lot and they're really good at it um but yeah it's like i say it's a fine song i'm not knocking it at all it but i i, I would just always find it really weird <laughs> that this of all the songs on this album that you'd pick this is the single and that it was then went on to be really successful um yeah got a lot of people back into the band you know this was kind of uh seen as a statement if you like by a lot of the fans who had gone off them over the last couple of albums it was seen either like oh oh it's they're back you know um yeah i don't know odd but a good song good song nevertheless yep uh track seven then vim
2: We cannot put the fear and down. To the will back. We have to face up to world. the world we're every The great class, one soul.
0: This one has very uh, Pantera, Biohazard, groovy vibes to me. And then when it becomes more thrashy, I feel like that riff is very Megadeth. Mm. So it's got it's got a lot of ingredients I like in this song. Um,
1: Does it work overall? And it feels though? like it has Does a it more traditional solo you?
0: in it too. What's that?
1: Does it actually work overall though? Does it come together for you all those parts?
0: Uh, i feel like some of the songs on the back half of this album are similar to what we just talked about with um you know days turn blue to gray of like elements that maybe don't fully coalesce Mm. but are enough to like there's not a song on this album that i would say like oh i would skip that song. and i'm not a song skipper anyways but There's not a song in this album that I can think of of like, yeah, that song I would skip every time I listen to this album. So every song has elements to it that I can kind of hold on to and will carry me through the song. And here it is, like the groove, uh, and then when it turns thrashy and I feel that sort of Megadeth vibe, like all of that kind of carries me through the songs. And it's the drums are, again, I could say this on every single song in this album, but the drums are crushing on the song. So it's heavy. It's got a great riff in it. It's got a great groove to it. Does it all coalesce? I don't know, but I, I like it. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's maybe not a standout song for me in the album, but I definitely, all those elements are there. And, and overall, I enjoy the song.
1: I'd kind of go along with that. It's, I mean, this is actually probably my least favorite song on the album. And it's partly for exactly that reason. As you say, it's kind of got some good bits. Like it's quite groovy. The chorus riff is pretty good, but it just never quite grabs me. It doesn't come together as a whole for me. Um, the one, my, Probably my favourite bit of it, actually, is the riff with all the toms that follows the solo because that feels a bit yeah. sepultura. Uh, I, I, oh I th- uh, Yeah,
0: that's a good point. I think
1: that works really well. But if there is a, a slump on this album, for me, it's this track. Um, like you, I'm not sure I'd say get rid of it although if you had to get rid of one song on this album this is the one that i would drop uh even more than the track from which we'll come to in a moment from the uh, us only release um this does feel kind of like the low point uh and i don't think the album would suffer if you did skip it but as you say it's got some nice bits it just doesn't come together it's a shame uh yeah so uh, let's go on to track eight uh which is seasons wither
2: The taste of avenging blood Suffer or rushes with blood Discuss the core of our soul
1: So this track was not on the original European release. This is the one that was added to the release in the US. Like I say, I've long suspected that it was (laughs) so that people who already bought it on import would buy it again. Um, But as a result, for many years, I had never heard this track. Uh, And it wasn't really until the digital age, you know, until we all started like rebuying our albums digitally and stuff uh, that I actually heard this track. And I was like, wait a second, this isn't, I don't remember this one. And then looked into it and realized that it was on the US only release. So I kind of of approached it with trepidation because when you've got an album that you know and then suddenly there's a track in the middle that you don't know, uh, you know, it's kind of like, oh, it feels a bit weird. But obviously I try to sort of approach it with an open mind. But there's also always a fear that you think, is this basically a B-side? You know, if, yeah, they di- well, if they didn't think it was good enough to get on the main right. album to start with, should it be on there at all?
0: Well, my thing about it is, and it's interesting, I think you're absolutely right, when you talk about a song, like when you know an album and you love an album and then a song gets inserted into that album, that can be really jarring. Yeah. And I what is interesting to me is why at slot eight? Like
1: right, why, why not the last? Why there? Why not an extra why bonus track song? at the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally.
0: <laughs> Why not a bonus track? I, when, I, when I think of bonus track, I think of tacked on to the end of the album. Now, what's interesting is I, I'm pretty sure, and I'd have to go back and look at this and not to continue to invoke Megadeth, but on their Dystopia album, there were certain versions of the album that had two additional songs on them, and one of them, at least one of them, was like in the middle of the album, and that was the version I bought. And so I got used to listening to the album with these extra tracks in it that were not present in many other versions of the album. And then when I kind of took those out or, or, you know, kind of listened to the standard version of the album, it had a totally different vibe to me. So yeah, I'm a fan of like, if there's extra tracks, make them extra at the end. Don't insert them into slot eight. Especially if you're familiar with this album and you're used to the flow of it, to have it then get inserted in there, it's kind of like, jarring it,
1: it really is that said and we'll talk about this more when we get to the last track i'm glad that they didn't make it the last track because this it's okay like it rips along i think it might actually even be the fastest track on the album um but it's not the best track on the album and it does kind of feel a bit like a b-side to me um the chorus is okay but i don't think it really holds up against you know this album has some fucking great choruses elsewhere on it yeah, and this is not wonderful you know
0: uh, great solo on this song I thought from, from demo. Um, and it has this kind of vibe of like waking up from a dream and then getting slapped in the face. <laughs> like that was, that's the kind of, it's like a fade in and then brutality. So I, I like the dynamic that it kind of gives you when you start listening to it. But, uh, yeah, just weird that it's that song eight for me. And I agree with you though. I wouldn't, this song I don't think makes a great,
1: it wouldn't be bookend a great for the album. Yeah.
0: But also throwing it in at number eight just also feels weird too. It's
1: very strange. And I mean, by the time this album was released, obviously we were well into the CD age as well. So it's not like you know you could stick it at the end of side one or something because there were no sides by the time this album was released. So, uh, but you
0: could do the whole thing where it was like there's four minutes of silence and then uh, you know yeah, or like yeah. I, I forget what album where they they would do like invisible tracks, like yeah, it would yeah. skip like you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, and track 15 would be an actual song.
1: Oh, well, the, my, my favorite example of that was always uh, nine inch nails. Uh, was it broken or fixed? One of the two, they, they released the sort of, you know, the, the regular album and then the remix of the or EP and then the remix of the EP. And one of them ended after like five or six songs and then had 92 or whatever. One yeah, second I, tracks. Counting I, I, I want to say there was an
0: the- anthrax album that did like a bunch of, like non-existent tracks as well but there's i can definitely remember having
1: the nine inch nails one there was one track at the end they literally counted up until track 99 because i think at the time basically you couldn't go past 99 tracks on a cd player because the you know wouldn't count because of the display right yep uh and so track 99 was the final track and i think that was the one that it was the cover of adamant's physical uh or maybe I'm misremembering. But anyway, it was, there was a final track, yeah, after, yeah, 92 yeah. seconds of silence. <laughs> or one one track, uh, multi-track, sorry, one second, uh, silent tracks. Just very bizarre.
0: But that would be the way to to take this out of number eight and put it at, like, track 22. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> let, it, let it breathe after the album's <laughs> over, and then it eventually kicks into that song. So,
1: yeah. Uh, all right, well, let, let's move on then to track nine, All Falls Down.
2: You, my sick eyes blind you. My gentle tickle, my tender prickle, the back of your neck. I stare, I sickles My sweetest friend will pull you right behind oh, that grin. I'm in the deep spot, I tore your bed inside your head. I am a monster in wait.
0: Uh, this is another builder, right? Uh of how they kind of build to what the actual song is going to sound like. Um this one kinda of felt a little bit limp biscuity to me.
1: Right. Oh uh, yeah. Interesting. So I mean this for me, this is kind of getting back on the horse with this track. Uh-huh. This is it's got a great heavy riff. You've got harmonics a go go all over the place. Uh and I think Flynn is in pretty fine voice on this one as well. Both he's and... I would and, totally agree. Well, yeah, you know, it's good vocal.
0: Um the chorus sounds very Pantera aggressive
1: oh, to me. Like in yeah, Selmo yeah, type
0: yeah. of vibe.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a really good chorus. Uh and you know, you, I do too. Another one again you can you can sing along with. Um yeah, it is very groovy. I hadn't thought of the limp biscuit but yeah, I guess the guitar actually thinking about it. Yeah. I can see it now. Yeah. Cause the, the sort of the verse guitars is a bit kind of noodly Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I don't mean that, um, in a really derogatory way. Like, I mean, obviously Limp Bizkit became kind of a caricature, but that there are elements of Limp Bizkit that I did enjoy. Oh um, yeah. Especially in their earlier stuff. So, yeah, well, um, well, and Ball they were was
1: a fucking great guitarist, you know,
0: they were in, immensely popular.
1: Um, yeah, when this is like I say, this is a kind of not a palate cleanser as such, but it's more just kind of I like this track more than the previous two, but again, not.
0: It's like a reset, right? Kind like of a again, not really my favorite. Maybe, maybe not reset.
1: Um, but I do like when he sings "Hold on, hold on" in the bridge. Uh uh-huh. When we were talking earlier about his sort of emotional delivery, there is something about his delivery—the sort of plaintive melody of that particular line that just gets me every time like he sounds so anguished uh singing that that yeah i i i find it really effective um there's one musical bit here that i won't be able to listen out for that i really like at the end so you get three instances of the chorus essentially in the song of him singing uh downfall and all fall down the last time he does it, the final chords underneath that line are different compared to the other choruses. And what they do is they step down through a couple of different chords to reach, return to the final riff, which they haven't done before. It's, you know, again, it's it's only a little thing. It's not much, but you listen to it compared to the previous choruses and it's what gives it a very different feel, that final Yeah. Uh, Refrain of the chorus. And like I say, brings you sort of returns you back to the final riff to play out. It's just, you know, it's a nice little musical touch. They they could have easily not done that. uh, And the change would have been more abrupt, but I like that they kind of stepped down and yeah, you know, sort of musically walked towards it.
0: And just like the triumphant element too, like walk, run, free the fear you've become fight back before it's your downfall. Like just that kind of talking someone through, Hmm. You know, you, you got to survive this, you got to hold on, you got to, you got to kind of fight through it Yeah. Um. amidst some very, you know, emotionally heavy lyrics, which again, I think is, I think anguish is the right thing. When we were talking before about like the sadness and anger, it's kind of like the anguish and anger that you see all through a lot of these lyrics. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's uh, considering as you say how sort of how much anger there is in a lot of his lyrics and delivery. There's also quite a bit of angst.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um so all right, track 10, wipe the tears.
0: Ask me how it
2: feels, To Feel like you're a failure when everything that's real. Burn the flame and anger. I'm real for felt some pain and more. Between, more than it all for. Don't stop What
0: this is another one dude just like an explosion of aggression yeah. um the drum and bass on this song i feel like that they play together really well um and just that that kind of build to delivery um dynamic
1: the drumming on really this song really feels
0: present on this uh, on the song
1: yeah the drumming on this song is just superb uh, it's uh, you know it requires such control and restraint yeah. i think uh yeah, just really really good. As you say, it's a every this, this whole song is a build. <laughs> like every verse yeah. is a build and then yeah, that explosive when he roars "Don't" in the chorus, it is so powerful. It's such a blast. Uh I, I mean, again great example of like how powerful his voice is when he sort of opens up and lets it loose. Um yeah. It, I've always felt like this track Actually, it's funny that you made the Limp biscuit comparison in the previous track because I've always felt like this track is a bit of a middle finger to people who complained about the the Burning Red and the new metal era because oh, for sure. this track could be on the Burning Red, n- no question. You know, there's it would absolutely fit on that album. And uh, it kind of feels as if this is saying, look, hey, by the way, we are actually still into that shit. Like don't think that we're turning our back on it just because you complained about it. <laughs> we're still here well
0: and like it's given me you know all this struggle has given me more resolve you know he says one thing i must make clear the struggle of these years has made every scar the stronger my lust for life the longer i will fight for what i love and i will fight for those i care i will fight at any time and i'll fight anywhere
1: yeah (laughs) um it's pretty unambiguous you know
0: (laughs) right right right, exactly
1: yeah And, and great lyrics again i mean this is the thing when he wants to be He can actually be very forthright and direct in his lyrics, you know, when he's not piling metaphor upon metaphor and sort of screwing around with his grammar. Uh, He can actually be very, very direct. And I I think maybe some of that comes from the rap influence.
0: Well, and that underscores, I think, the intentionality of when he does it differently.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, shows that it's deliberate, that it's not, uh, you know, it's not some accident or inability or something. It is very much choice uh but now we come to the end all right last track descend the shades of night
0: i really like this song as a finisher
1: yeah uh i like this song as my favorite track on the album (laughs) okay uh it's i mean it's the epic it's the longest track and it is it just pips out imperium as my favorite on the album i mean it's hard to pick a favorite on this album to be fair because like i say it is one of my favorites overall but this track just brilliant um I mean here's uh the ultimate accolade for you if you like his how much I like it. You remember that every issue of my comic series Wasteland was named after a song. Uh yes. well only one of them was a machine head song, and it was this one. I think it, nice. I think it was issue twelve or something, uh was called Descend the Shades of Night. Um it's another great vocal performance from him, again kind of showing off his versatility. And when that chorus comes in the drama, the, the weight yes. and the sort of the melodramatic thrust of it, it along with some great lyrics as well.
0: Um, and the drums, the way the drums yeah. build the emotion of this song as well is really wonderful.
1: It, it, yeah. It's just like, I mean, this is a, it is a drama song and obviously it's look, you know, it's a slow doomy epic and, if, and it's about death so you know <laughs> kind of predisposed oh, I mean it
0: it checks all of the boxes for you <laughs> yeah. without a shadow of a doubt but the, just that whole um like crashing of waves thing it, again it's the build and the delivery yep. it's the way that and it happens multiple times in the song where they sort of settle everything down just to start that build all over again it has like this tidal effect to it
1: yeah yeah it it's like a build and release And then, as you say, like, tide goes out, yeah, and then starts to come back in again. And
0: Whereas some of the other songs are one build and then aggression the rest of the song. This song has more of that title effect of, like, a build and then it's going to settle and then it's going to build again and then it's going to... that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, Apparently this track was only uh, about, like, three minutes long originally and nobody liked it. It wasn't working uh so uh, allegedly Flynn basically went away and said all right you fuckers what if I slow it down and actually make it more than twice as long <laughs> and we and we put a solo in there and it worked <laughs> it was uh yeah, yeah I remember reading an interview with him where he was like yeah this was it was not working at all it was like three minutes long at a different tempo and they just completely ripped it apart and yeah you know made it this big doomy, epic thing and suddenly it's it's great and it's the album closer. And what a great closer as well. What a way to end the album. This is why I wouldn't want to end the album with any other track because it's, yeah, it's just perfectly placed here at the end.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think this is a great finisher. This is, this makes the case for why song eight should not have been the last song on the album because this song makes you want to, to me, makes me want to go back and start the whole thing all over again.
1: Yeah. It absolutely achieves that, yeah. It's. Uh... While
0: being a very different song than the first song on the album. Oh, and a very, so it's not. A,
1: a very different song to anything else on the album. That's the yeah, other thing. That's a great point. You know, it doesn't sound. Again, you can tell it's them, you know it's Machine Head, but it doesn't actually sound like any other track on the album. And yet, as you say, m- you know, makes you want to go back and listen to the others again as well. Because
0: I think the fact that it is different makes you really take a step back and appreciate just how many different elements this band has to their sound and how many of them are present on the different songs on this album. Like it kind of reminds you at the end of like, man, this this thing is really the total package. Like it, there's a lot to dig into and a lot. It it is. It's that Shepard's pie thing of like there is. There's a lot of different layers to this album and it continues to reward additional listens.
1: Yeah. That's a really good point actually. Yeah. That it does. It's one more thing to add to like, Hey, yeah, we can do this as well. Um, And as you say, that kind of showcases the versatility of the band as a whole and of this album. It is a, you know, a versatile album for sure. Uh, Which is, yeah, as I say, one of the reasons why it's my second favorite album of theirs after their debut. Um, I mean, like I said, I like all of Machine Head's incarnations and I don't think they've actually recorded a truly bad album. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why they've been around for so long, you know, apart from just sheer bloody mindedness. Uh, I think also just that they are versatile. They are good songwriters. Flynn is a great lyricist. Um, They have a dedication to touring as well. They are kind of a little old school in that, you know, it feels like they're forever on the road, (laughs) Um, which I'm sure helps. But yeah, uh, they're just, I think part of their longevity is down to the fact that they are able, they're capable of this sort of um, variety and uh, all the multifacetedness of their sound while always, always being heavy as hell.
0: Yeah, and I think you just put a bow on it. It is, all other elements aside, heavy from start to finish, and this album really delivers in terms of just sheer heaviness. Yeah,
1: it really does. So were you going to uh, seek out some other Machine Head albums?
0: Without a doubt. Like I said, I I had spent um, time listening to Violence just because of the fact that they both played guitar in that band. And I I really enjoyed the guitars on this album. But now I'll be digging much further into Machine Head Over. I'm really glad that you chose this album, because I I think it's great, top to bottom. I think it's a great album, and I definitely am going to dig into more of their catalogue, for sure.
1: Excellent. Well, yeah, as I said, if you like this, definitely check out Burn My Eyes, their debut album, and also uh, the two albums after this, Blackening and Unto the Locust. Well, that
0: that's going to be my first thing is the first album and then blackening. Right. Like pre this album and then like what happened right after this.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I mean, like I said, you know, I think that all of the albums are pretty good. But it, it, in particular, if this sound, if the sound of this particular album appeals to you and you want some stuff that's along the same lines, then yeah, those are definitely the albums to check out. And then maybe look at some of the other, uh, you know, more experimental, if you want to call it that, albums they've done. But yeah, overall, as I said, like just a band that, for me, you can't conceive of the modern metal era without Machine Head. And I I don't know if they always get the credit they deserve in that respect, uh, because apart from Burn My Eyes, they haven't really had a big splash of success throughout their career. Don't get me wrong, they are successful, they have sold many, many records, but... You know how a lot of bands kind of, they have that one record that just really puts them over the top. Um, and Machine Head did that with their first album. <laughs> and it's kind yep. of really hard to replicate that again. Since even though other albums may have sold more, Burn My Eyes made such a splash when it was released that it's it's almost impossible for them to live up to that again. Uh, and so, yeah, I think sometimes they do get a little overlooked in the conversation about the evolution of modern metal. And, and they really shouldn't, in my opinion.
0: I would say they definitely get overlooked because, again, just like me not have not that I'm the arbiter of that kind of thing, but I (laughs) I feel like they just in my own um, understanding of metal history, I don't feel like that's been preached to me enough. Um, So I think they have probably don't get the recognition that they deserve.
1: Have you heard the good word about Machine Head?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have now, and uh, I'll be happy to continue to evangelize it. (laughs) Excellent.
1: All right. So before we – well, I was going to say before we get to homework, but no, this is our homework. So our homework for the next episode is uh, our encore poll from our patrons. Mm -hmm. Um, So I closed the poll earlier today as we record. I have in front of me a list of all the nominations. We had 43 in total. Okay. A surprising amount of Black Sabbath. Like a genuinely, to me, surprising amount of Black Sabbath and an Aussie uh, album in there as well. But yeah, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of the nominations are various Black Sabbath albums. Um,. Only... So if
0: you imagine the ping pong balls that are rattling around now in the circular cage, <laughs> there's a lot of Black Sabbath balls with a high percentage chance well, and for Black Sabbath. There's
1: a few others that were like, you know, two people. So two people nominated At The Gates albums, two people nominated Judas Priest, two people nominated Motley Crue and Motorhead and My Dying Bride and White Zombie, and even two people separately nominated within Temptation. But the oh. only band that got more than two apart from Black Sabbath was Pantera. Uh, uh that doesn't surprise me too much yeah I was a little surprised by it, I must admit but uh yeah it's a good spread here of uh yeah hopefully it was for uh power metal
0: was the suggestion <laughs> of right? of course yeah no <laughs> no will never forget Pantera' is a glam metal band Indeed. at heart
1: no there was one, I was actually surprised that there was only one for cowboys from hell and then two for great southern trend kill
0: Ugh, i i I shouldn't say i <laughs> I don't dislike that <laughs> album but I do lo- uh, my preference would be Cowboys from hell, but my real preference would be power metal. I think it's by far their best album, but that's (laughs) just me.
1: Uh, But yeah. So just to remind listeners who may be wondering what the hell we're talking about. So uh, every volume we do an encore episode where we ask our patrons to nominate an album by a band that we have covered before on the show, because normally we only cover a band once. And so that's why these uh, nominations are all for bands that we have already covered on the show, but for different albums so yeah as i say there are 43 i am now at random.org and i am going to click the the generate button and see which one we get and that will determine the album that we talk about next time are you ready
0: wait before you do it all right uh actually i do really like great southern trend kill it's far beyond driven that i'm not that big of a fan of
1: what wash your mouth out
0: i i I, I like great southern better far beyond
1: driven Driven is one of my favorite pantera albums oh my god
0: Well, I'm glad it wasn't nominated then, because we'd be fighting over that. Now I really want to do that album. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do that one.
1: Oh, I love Far Beyond Driven. Oh my goodness.
0: No, it goes Power Metal, Cowboys from Hell, Vulgar Display of Power, Great Southern Trendkill. Those are the best Pantera albums wow. in order.
1: So uh, here's my, and I realize this is a bit of a slightly heretical opinion. I like uh, Far Beyond Driven more than Vulgar Display of Power. I actually, I genuinely think it's a better album than Vulgar Display of Power.
0: (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't fight you over that just because I, I mean, I think Vulgar Display of Power is great, but, um, Power Metal and Cowboys from Hell are, to me, are my favorites from them. So
1: (laughs) I do love Cowboys. It's true. That is uh, that is a superb album. I mean, it's very, very late eighties, early nineties, but it is still a superb album. So much energy. Yes. All right. Are you ready? I am going to click the button. Do it. I'm clicking the button. Random number 1 to 43. And they're just in alphabetical order by band, incidentally. By band and then uh, album. In fact, do you know what? I'll take a picture of the... Uh, um, just so people can see. There you go. I'll take a picture and I'll post that to Facebook later. Uh, of the list. So, generating the number. And we have... <laughs> 29. And 29 is simon lake's nomination for the great southern trend kill by pantera well well
0: well i'm glad i made that correction before you pulled that number because people are like oh brian doesn't like great southern trend kill in fact he does
1: <laughs> oh wow okay brilliant right so yeah Pan- Bring it pantera once again here we come that is what we'll talk about on the next episode
0: that's awesome, because you know I'm going to work in some power metal uh, of, discussion when we talk about Great Southern of Track. <laughs> of course you know that I will. So. Um, now I have an excuse to go back and listen to all that stuff all over again. Cool. Oh, man. I'm, I think people will be excited that we're getting another Pantera episode, don't you?
1: I think so. I think so. Pantera remains you know, a very, very popular band. Um, but yeah, doing something from that era, from the later era of their career, is going to be very interesting. Um, yeah. It definitely will be. Thank you everyone uh, all of our patrons for nominating in that poll and of course for you know just supporting the show in general. Like remember as a reminder, you haven't heard any ads during this show and you never will. We don't take ads. We're not don't take sponsors. We're not part of a podcast network. We are entirely supported by you lot out there. Uh and we are very very grateful for it and if you are not yet a patron and you would like to to help support the show and so that you can take part in things like the encore album nomination polls you can go to patreon.com slash thrash it out and make a pledge today and remember uh that you want to join the facebook group that's facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out but otherwise that's it we will see you or uh you will hear us i should say (laughs) next time (laughs) when yeah pantera great southern train kill my goodness who would have thought that
0: good homework to dive into so yeah and again thanks everybody for your support and uh you know after having more than a month off this was a great uh, great getting back together and talking about such an awesome album
1: absolutely was yeah all right so yeah uh we'll see you next time everyone keep thrashing take care Just as the dog starts barking. <laughs>
0: Just as the dog
1: starts barking.